and we just haven't seen you know supply chain issues like this since second the second world war so it's uh it's it's something where i think we all have to look at this from a common sense point of view hello and welcome to the latest episode of the greens west podcast chain down i'm your host jeff glovis Grains West Magazine is co-published by Alberta Barley and the Alberta Wheat Commission, and it's our goal to connect farmers, food, and ideas. And as always, if you'd like to read our exclusive online-only stories or subscribe to our monthly e-newsletter, you can visit GrainsWest.com. The world of agriculture has changed since the appearance of COVID-19. We are just beginning to see the effects on food pricing and the availability in our stores. But how are the farms that produce the food being affected? In today's episode of the Greens West podcast, ag journalist Trevor Back looks on the on-farm fallout from two years of pandemic-related supply chain interruptions. Now here's Trevor and Greens West editor Ian Doig. Supply chain issues affecting farmers seemed to snowball as the pandemic went on. Uh, as, as you researched this story, what did you find? Yeah, certainly, you know, COVID hasn't made anyone's life easier in ag, and there's there's lots of factors at play too, such as last year's drought. But overall, you know, things are things are not back to normal or what people would have been used to um, two two and a half years ago, no question. So the point of view from most everyone I talk to is that the situation is kind of one ongoing black swan event. It's never really been seen before, and people are preaching patience because I mean, what else can you do? If, if there's a silver lining, it's that many are thinking by 2023, things could be back to a typical level of service, although that feels like it's ages away for many right now in ag. Al Mussel is uh, Director of uh, Research at the Canadian Agri-Food Policy Institute. Uh, so tell me a little more about your conversation with him. Uh, yeah, that's right, Ian. Uh, Al focuses on agriculture and agri-food trends globally. Um, he, you know, he works to connect the dots back to Canada when it's possible. And throughout COVID, he's seen major supply chain bottlenecks at various times. And, um, you know, and this is in addition to geopolitical issues between countries and, uh, you know, a rising trend of food insecurity. Um, you know, here's what Muscle had to say about food insecurity due to these global supply chain issues. Uh, production, disappearance, and stocks. And, and you know, production, you know, notwithstanding um, some of the challenges we've had in production over the last number of years, whether, you know, related to climate change or otherwise, production is still going up, but uh, not at the same rate that consumption in it. And as a, re- as a result, like, our ability to build stocks is greatly diminished at a global level. So it, it, it's kind of like, you know, you're going into every year uh, needing that year's crop to be good just to meet that year's demand. And, and it, you know, I, I certainly hope I'm wrong about this, but it looks very much like we're at a global level, at least we're having trouble building stocks. So it sounds like there really has been a perfect storm of consumer demand, bad weather last year. Uh, which led to poor production, which further drove up prices and caused greater food insecurity. Yeah, yeah, that, uh, that's that's right. You know, add on to that rising energy prices, and it seems kind of like everything is coming together all at once and not in a good way. Um, regarding energy, Muscle says many countries, you know, they're looking um, to the agricultural projections report. That's from the USDA. So the USDA put that out. 
last February, and it's kind of a global outlook on many things, including energy and food trends, prices, that sort of thing. The report predicted oil prices would gently rise to $57 per barrel by 2030, uh, which could not have been more wrong. If, if uh, as, as, I, as I say, over the last few years, it, it, by all appearances, even though, as I say, you know, I, I wouldn't want people to think that, you know, production's way off or something. Uh, globally, that's, that's not the case. Production's growing and it's, it's growing impressively. It's just that it just is not um, keeping pace with the growth in consumption. As a result, you're, uh, you're unable to build stocks. Well, going into this year, you, 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 you overlay on top of that the you know the the shock in the uh, energy system uh, energy prices and how that has parlayed you know, among other things but has parlayed into our nitrogen fertilizer complex and um you, you know we've had uh, we've had warnings about you know um farmers being prepared for possibly not being able to get access to nitrogen fertilizer or the nitrogen fertilizer is going to be exceptionally expensive um, you know, back prior to January, the you know, the, if you if you to go and, and look at the uh, probably doesn't matter your your urea or anhydrous ammonia prices, it's almost like a, a big vertical line going up. The price increase was so rapid in January that seems to have backed off. And my understanding is that um, uh, Russia, which is in uh, uh, China, both uh, major producers and exporters of uh, nitrogen fertilizers had had released some product from that they'd been storing, but it, it's not at all evident that the pressure's off on this, and no particular end in sight, as far as I can tell, on energy prices. And I guess just sort of to complete the thought, I think we just had probably the USDA Outlook Conference in in Washington, and as part of that, they they produce a long-term outlook document. Um, you know, going back to the 2020, the February 2021 outlook document, there was no contemplation of a short-term or immediate-term, I should say, energy price spike coming. This was not expected, and all of a sudden, here we are. It's it's just a stunning reversal. Did that surprise you, or did you think maybe in the back of your mind there's a chance, or did this really catch everyone off guard? <laughs> well, you uh, know. So I'm, I, yeah, I'm not only not a logistics expert, I'm not an expert on the oil or energy complex. I'm more of an ag and food guy. Um, so, uh, you know, I, I again, it's, this is something that I try and read, try and collect information on. Um, but, you know, I, 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 I take those forecasts from the USDA outlook very seriously. And, and uh, yeah, this, this time last year, this was not foreseen whatsoever. And I defer to the experts that prepare those outlooks. So, so uh, on that basis, yeah, I was surprised for sure. You know, con- consistent with that um, that FAO outlook that I made reference to. You know, difficulty of production keeping up with consumption. Uh, uh, last few years, inability to build stocks, and uh, you know, you, you flip that over now, and you look at the food price index that. Um, uh, that the FAO maintains, and it's in you know inflation-adjusted terms, it's at its highest level since like 1973. Um, so, so you you know you get the real sense of concern and, and worry uh, that countries have of um, high food prices or or conversely running out. 
So, you know, you, you mentioned Fuel and Trevor. So, so uh, uh, Jordan's uh, uh, initiated a, um, a stockpiling program for wheat. Um, Egypt has done something similar. Uh, in, in Turkey, they've had to they've had to deal with. I think that's more of a widespread sort of private you know, individual consumers um, stockpiling. Uh, they, they've had to they've had to run through that. Uh, you know, China's a China's a major, um, well, by far the largest stockpiler of uh, of product. And it's you know it's it's interesting. They you know they went through a period of um, uh, importing vast quantities of corn, particularly U.S. corn, to rebuild stocks, you know, even as their um, sow inventory is declining, and you know, the made, obviously major use of, of corn is to is to grind into hog feeds. Um, so, the, I mean, the the tightness in terms of the demand, especially on the cereal complex, but also in your oilseed complex. So. So for us, uh, canola, uh, also soybeans is, I'm going to say, probably unprecedented. And what leads you to say that it's unprecedented? Well, just just the just the data. Um, you know, here here we are. We've got we've got countries stockpiling, and and there, there's quite a number of other examples that I haven't uh, I haven't mentioned. Um, Argentina, I believe, has an export ban. Um, uh, on a number of products, beef and beef in particular, uh, Paraguay. It looks very much to me. I guess we'll find out. But Paraguay uh, is a soybean, uh, you know, basically soybean and beef uh, exporter. I think both of those products are all but sold out to China. So they, hopefully not, but they may have to worry about a domestic food security uh, issue, which is ironic when you produce the product yourself. Um, they may indeed get themselves in a position as Argentina was a couple of years ago, in which they actually have to import soybeans to run through their crush plants because they sold all their beans to Chinese. Um, these are these are uh, kind of wacky contortions in a in a global market in which you know it's a it's a this is a merchandising market in which you you know your, your traders operate on the basis that uh, you know ex- exporters. Uh, export product to to deficit countries, and this is how we how we cover off the you know shortness of uh, supply relative to demand, and and this has kind of been thrown askew. When you hear those kinds of comments, the real question is, what can be done? Yeah, well, to a large extent, you know, the situation remains out of farmers' hands, and and more so, it falls at the feet of the supply chain. Uh, and I mean, farmers will continue to grow crops as best they can, but it's it's going to be what happens after the harvest that remains a challenge, getting grain delivered to customers in various countries uh, with logistics challenges, COVID challenges, geopolitical trade barrier challenges, many challenges. Even countries snapping up uh, extra stocks to ensure uh, food security is not an issue, I guess. Yeah, exactly. That's right. You know, we're seeing uh, that trend begin more and more where countries do not want to be caught flat-footed. Uh, it could be Egypt, China, or a number of countries, but they're focused on food security now, and that can cause many ripple effects in the global marketplace. How does the supply chain situation play out in, in other areas? I know uh, many people are talking about equipment lately and, uh, and, and the delays that they're facing. 
Yeah, that's that's exactly right. Uh, equipment is a big one. Uh, I spoke with John Schmeiser. He's the president of the Western Equipment Dealers Association, and he said that we are nowhere near out of the woods. Um, that won't surprise a lot of people, but it really stings all the same when you bought something six or eight months ago thinking you'll have new iron in time for spring seeding, and that's not the case. Um, it's frustrating when you're told by the dealer your equipment's delayed, but you won't be able to use it until 2023. And we've had a number of conversations with major manufacturers about this. They are continuing to push back delivery dates on equipment that's been ordered by dealers or where there's, you know, customers have you know, wanted to purchase equipment. And the supply chain is just nowhere near where it needs to be or, or nowhere near what we would call normal in our industry and it's it's a compounding problem and then add on top of that commodity prices where we're having some of the best commodity prices that we've seen in the longest time and and even though we had a pretty widespread drought in canada's prairies last year where there were some crops the crops were great quality and they brought very good commodity prices so there's there's really no secret to our industry when it comes to equipment sales. It's three factors. Number one is weather, okay? And we're pretty much dry land farming, you know, certainly in the prairies, you know, pretty much dry land farming. So we're dependent on the weather. We're, we're dependent on great snowfall in the winter and timely rains in the spring and summer, right? So that's one factor. Mm-hmm. The second factor, the second factor is commodity prices. and you know, if commodity prices are strong, um, that's more cash in the hands of our producers and our customers, and uh, they're quicker to reinvest in their equipment if they have more cash. Very simple economics. And then the third factor is interest rates. And you know, historically, we've we've had some very low interest rates for the, what the past 20 years, going mm-hmm. back to the 80s going back a little bit longer so the cost of borrowing for a producer and purchasing um, a large piece of farm equipment is is pretty low so if those three metrics hit there's an incredible demand for farm equipment new farm equipment and Mm -hmm. so those metrics all hit um, in some respects with the exception of weather you know certainly commodity prices and interest rates but weather you know was probably one thing that held things back a little bit which perhaps wasn't such a bad thing because we Mm -hmm. just wouldn't have been able to supply it we're better off today than we were in may of 2020 but it's still not where it needs to be then when you say it's it you know it's not where you want it to be or it's not where it needs to be that kind of hints that there's still delays and lag times. Can you give me a sense of what that's like? Yeah, so, you know, I've had dealers who have taken early order from customers, and, you know, depending on the manufacturer, the early order period is usually September, October, November. They were promised delivery, you know, for perhaps April 1st of 2022, and now those delivery dates are getting pushed back, you know, every as we go further on into the year it's like those delivery dates are being pushed back another month or they're being pushed back another month right and to be more specific on that you know i've heard from some air seeder air drill manufacturers you know based 
in Western Canada where, you know, their issue is the same, you know, getting, you know, getting raw materials, getting components that they need. Um, and what I was hearing from some of them was if you were taking an order for an air drill air seeder in September, October, November of 2021, you were not going to get that new product for seeding in 2022. It was going to come after seeding um, just because of the components availabilities, raw material availabilities, and, you know, border issues. And, and we've got trucking issues as well, too. And um, I haven't seen this. You know, but I've seen media reports on it, uh, and I've had you know dealers tell me about the amount of ships that are waiting to get into the port of Vancouver, the amount of ships that are waiting to get into the port of Long Beach in California, mm-hmm. and and par- and components and parts that are sitting on those ships and that are being held up. And then, then let's throw that flooding into the Fraser Valley. That didn't help us at all either. And just mm-hmm. another, just another indication of a perfect storm, of um, something that we didn't need to happen, but we can't control the rain like that and the weather. And and uh, it's it's again they've they've got the Coca Hollow open. They've got the Crow's Nest Highway open. I think the Canadian National. I think their railway is back open and. But again, it just added another delay, and uh, we have to work through it, and um, you know, let our manufacturers you know do their thing and working with their relationships, working on their relationship with suppliers, and and uh, ultimately our parts depots will be filled, and uh, our dealers will have access to those parts to take care of the customer. There are so many layers to this; it's hard to keep track of it all. But certainly, the the equipment side is really difficult. Yeah, and it, and it's not just the steel components. Many of the raw materials and component pieces come from Asia, and with shipping routes clogged, lack of labor at ports, COVID issues, you, you can see how the wait times are just stacking up. What has this done to prices domestically? Uh, well, according to Schmeiser, uh, recently used equipment has actually increased in cost, if you can believe it. Um, you know, to say this is rarely seen would be an understatement. Not everyone's out of the woods and, and some industries maybe like egg are really not out of the woods. Like what do you make of that? Well, first of all, from an equipment dealer perspective, because there was delayed delivery dates on new, there was an incredible run on dealers used equipment that dealers had sitting on their lots. Mm-hmm. And and one thing and one one stat that we tracked was combine pricing on a quarterly basis. So what's used combine pricing? From May of 2020, certainly till the third quarter of 2021, what we saw is used combines, dealers were asking more for them the longer they sat on the lot. Okay? Hmm. So that's a once in a generational type thing that that we've seen that. Um, it's the first time that I think I can recall, and I've been working with the dealers associations 1996. That's the first time that I've ever seen that. Typically, if a lot, you know, if a combine's longer sitting on a lot, while well, a dealer may discount it by five percent the next month when he looks at repricing his equipment, or he might another month or two months passes, he might look at discounting it another two and a half percent or another five percent. Well, from May 2020 
what we saw is that trend reverse. If it wasn't sold for the 2020 harvest year, what was happening is because of the delays on the used equipment, some customers were looking at at, at used. And so we saw a shrinking supply of used equipment and an increasing demand on it just because of the bottleneck on the U or the, on the, the delay in providing the new. So that's probably been you know, the, the most profound effect from from our standpoint is seeing that used equipment increase in price just because that limited supply getting smaller and smaller as we go more months into that pandemic. And I just, you know, I, I won't ask again, but I just want to confirm. So these, uh, not counting used equipment, but new equipment, is it all equipment sort of from like a tractor to an implement to you know, something else, like everything is delayed by some amount of time. Is there anything that is that, correct. Is there anything that's on time? No, no, nothing okay. at all. But, you know, we can go down the category of, of two-wheel drive tractors under 150 horsepower. You can go down even lower to under 40 horsepower. Um, you can go to uh, four-wheel drive tractors, combines, high-clearance sprayers, uh, tillage, um, air drills, air seating, uh, hay tools, every category is, is, has experienced some delays and is continuing to experience delays that would be unusual for a normal year. This mm-hmm. is an unprecedented, unprecedented event that we have in the industry, and we just haven't seen you know, supply chain issues like this since second, the Second World War. So it's... Uh, it's <sighs> It's something where I think we all have to look at this from a common sense point of view. We're substantially better, substantially better than we were at the start of the pandemic. However, there's still going to be a couple of one-offs or two-offs just because of the unique nature of the park that's needed and where it has to come from. And um, I I think the manufacturers have, have done a really good job of trying to keep dealers informed uh, about when they see the corner being turned, you know, so the message was consistent to us as a dealer association. And, and we're looking at, you know, probably the spring of 2023 as the target where we see the, this, you know, the majority of the supply chain issues behind us, as long as the pandemic does not provide more problems. And, um, you know, here, here we are, look like we were, on the downside of the Delta wave and now Omicron comes and and, um, we've got provinces looking at more restrictions. It's better than it was a year ago and that gives us a lot of optimism for the future. Is there any good news with equipment? Good question. Uh, You know, manufacturers have apparently committed to 2023 as the date uh, to get back to regular service levels, which is what Schmeiser and uh, the WEDA were told. How about the uh, everyday retailers? Is there interruption there? You know, depending what you want, things could be good or bad. Fertilizer was in super short supply last fall as prices really began to skyrocket. Glyphosate too is jumping, and now with a force majeure being declared uh, by Bayer due to a mechanical failure with one of its suppliers, prices are jumping like crazy, supply is completely limited. This is going to further squeeze farmers. I suppose it may be a similar story on the seed side. 
but probably more related to the drought and uh, heat from last year. Yeah, it's definitely going to be a concern for seed, which depending on what you want is going to be really tight. Uh, there are no yellow peas out there and Durham is super expensive. Uh, breeder seed is crazy tight. Certain hybrids that farmers maybe had their eye on, it's just not possible this year. Um, and those might be another season or two away now. And I mean, it's estimated that breeder seed was down about 50% on average across the prairies. That's a big number. Uh, you know, some areas are higher and some are lower, but on average, it's down about half, and, and that's pretty big. And that's it for another edition of the Grains West podcast. Thanks for listening. You can read the digital edition of the magazine at GrainsWest.com, where you'll find Tug of War, Trevor's in-depth story about the push, pull, and twist of egg supply chain issues.